Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we'll feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Ben Fern and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Paul Sheridan. How are you Ben? I'm good, thanks. We're in one of the brand new renovated rooms at Church House. We are, but I've just realised that I've got a swing chair and actually there is an odd creak on this swing chair. So apologies to listeners if you do get a bit of a creak afterwards. That's not Ben's bones creaking, more likely to be mine to be fair, but... Apologies um, if I laugh immaturely as well at the sounds the chair is making. (laughs) No, don't apologise for that. We can go immature as much as you want. But um, I've realised, and I do tend to lean back. I'm a bit known for that. I do get some comments about how far I can lean back. And it, so if I do fall off or if it creaks a bit, that's the chair. Not, uh, okay. That's a good good save there. Thanks. Thanks. Got that in early. We've been talking about sponsorship, haven't we? We have. We've, we're both a big fan of podcasts. We listen yes. to other podcasts, Love especially podcast. history ones. Yes. Um, there's always the cheesy bit, normally in the middle or actually at the start sometimes, mm. plugging something. Mm. It's either external or it's the host sort of doing their best acting yes, to right. advertise something i do love a holiday ben how about you that's absolutely right paul have you heard about x holidays yes. i was going to mention a brand member yeah, i shouldn't do that so we're um listeners out there that we're thinking about where we can get some sponsorship from to monetize this it's not necessarily about the money everybody as a generosity and giving officer obviously all about the money but we do need to think about something that we could plug each week and uh, i suspect it might have to be diocese related really and who's going to script it as well? Who's going to script the advert? Well, journalist background, looking across the room at you, Ben. Okay, well, I could give it a stab. Can, can we script events that are coming up, like vocations fairs or celebration of lay ministry services? Absolutely, yeah. On message there. Right, Very on right, message. Straight off the bat, played it safely, <laughs> taking a quick single to mid-off, straight bat, lovely. That's exactly how I bat. <laughs> Nothing exaggerate. <laughs> the slog sweep doesn't come out till at least the 15th over. Ramp? No yeah. ramps involved. No ramps involved. <laughs> I'm going to get hit in the face. <laughs> I have been hit in the face trying that, yeah. But, well, you mentioned events there, our esteemed guest, Dan. Um, Way of Faith Fortnite, of course. That could be a potential Where sponsorship. Way of Faith Fortnite. We want to plug that more and more. We do. Badges. Badges, uh, showing symbols of faith in the diocese. It's going across the whole diocese Sheffield from the 22nd of October to the 5th of November. Uh, was a real success last year, inviting Christians from across South Yorkshire to get involved. And Hannah, very much a friend of the Words of Grace podcast, uh, is, is heading that up. So, and, and not just that, they've had some fantastic entries this year from uh, children across the diocese, yes. adults across the diocese about how you can wear your faith fortnight. Well, a yeah. young girl from the Rock Christian Centre was one of those badges. Yeah. Uh, big up to that because uh, John and Trish at the Rock Christian Centre are um, my son Theo's wife's parents. So we have a, an involvement with them as well. So there we are. All good stuff, isn't it? Keep, keep it in the family. Absolutely. A bit of nepotism. Never hurt the Church of England, did it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to our guests, shall we? we? Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> now we're talking about nepotism, yeah. <laughs> so our guest today is... Dan. Dan is the Director of Vocations and Diocese Director of Ordinance in the Diocese of Sheffield. It's a, it's a long title, isn't it? It is. We're going to come to that in a second. We'll have to pull you up on that. It's Dan Christian, by the way. I said Dan, and uh, yes, because we're so friendly here. Previously, he has served in parishes in both Durham and Sheffield. Dan comes from an island heritage. His dad is from the Isle of Man, and his mum is Chinese Malay from the island of Penang. But there's clearly one island you want to would go visit. Out of those two. I love the Isle of Man, and I think that's right. The Isle of Man Tourist Board do sponsor. <laughs> the Isle of Man Tourist Board. That's our new sponsor. Sort of. Phil, Phil Batchford would love it. You know, he big would. TT fan. Yeah. Is he going to sponsor us as well? Well, he might sponsor us. Rother, Rotherham Minster, yeah. Uh, and, and back to the uh, podcast. He is married to Laura, an oncologist, and they have two boys, Theodore and Wilbur. Alongside his diocese role, Dan teaches Biblical Hebrew and Old Testament at St. Hill's having done a doctorate on satire in the Old Testament. Literally He's a big not joke. the Messiah. Um, <laughs> Literally in, a big joke. Yeah. In his spare time, Dan tries to play as much cricket, well done, or football, that time or his increasingly creaky body enable him to do. Welcome, Dan. Thank you very much. So, yeah, if, it, if it's the chairs, it might be my creaky body, not just the chairs. If season's finished, though, for you? Uh, yeah, I managed to play a, a charity game for Western Park Hospital last weekend, oh, no. and I think that's probably it for the cricket season. Um, yeah, 
We're going to, you mentioned your name there, Dan. You're one of the great examples of nominative determinism in the diocese because we've got <laughs> Dan Christian, there's Adam Priestley, there's Chris uh, Bishop, okay. and um, yeah, it's a very suitable name. Yeah, it is. And um, you could say destined uh, to be a vicar, but my brother and sister didn't get the memo. Um, yeah, grew up on Church Lane as well. So, you know, oh. really, really was, uh, you know, doomed. Oh, um, it's actually a Manx name. So if you ever go to the Isle of Man, you know, I've been to the Isle of Man, if you have been, you'll find that 50% of people have the surname Christian. It's like massive. It's a bit like living in Wales. I yeah, exactly. I say that coming from South Wales, Smith or Jones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the 50%. most famous... Well, I'll possibly exaggeration, but a lot of people, you know, <laughs> it's it's the Smith of uh, the Isle of Man. Um, famous one, Fletcher Christian, some second Mr. cousin. Christian. Yeah, yeah. Mutinied on the bounty, so, you know, all, all good preparation for ministry. <laughs> wasn't a temptation to go for christian christian well you know there must be one of those wasn't there my, my brother my brother's a medic as well um so he uh, like my wife um he trained with someone at university called cyrus doctor who is now somewhere in the country doctor doctor fantastic which is fantastic yeah. do you send in these names listeners by the way if there are any similar names to yeah this, any, I, um, you know. as you know i swim and uh, there's a guy out hallway that i swim against in my age bracket and uh, his name is guy forks and when that comes up on the screen in lane three, Guy Fawkes, there's always a little bit of a moment. But I also think when he gets pulled over on the motorway for speeding, okay, and, and he winds the window down, the policeman says to him, and your name's a Fawkes? First name, Guy? Out of the car, please, sir. When you just, just think, what is that about? Which, which parent? <laughs> That's a good idea. I know. Surely it's the obvious one if you're saying this Fawkes. It's amazing. So, Dan, just to start this, this sort of... Um, romp through your life uh dan is the director of vocations and diocese director of ordinance in the diocese of sheffield not only are there a lot of d's there a lot of d's there's yeah. a lot of words there are so of words. just unwrap that for us at the start um so probably the easier bit of my role that people tend to understand is diocesan director of ordinance uh, often abbreviated to ddo and i think you might have had ddos appear in um in in the podcast previously um the way to explain that to people that I go for is if you want to be a vicar, I'm the person you come see. So the Diocesan Director of Ordinance is the person who looks after people who are exploring ordination. And we work from people, you know, from the moment they get uh, referred to by a vicar. And if anyone's listening on, on uh, today and wants to explore ordination, go have a chat with your vicar as soon as possible. Uh, and if that seems realistic, as it, if it seems uh, appropriate, then they would get in touch with me. Uh, and we support people for normally 18 months to two years um, through the Church of England process uh, for discerning ordination. That's lots of one-to-one -one meetings, that's lots of working with groups, it's, it's quite a few panels, uh, all trying to discern whether or not this person uh, is informed about what ordination is, is realistic about whether that fits with them and whether that calling is being affirmed by other people. Uh, we then work with people whilst they're training because their discernment doesn't stop uh, until we get to that lovely uh, summer service at the cathedral in July, end of June, uh, where they get ordained. And then that moment when they get a dog collar, that's when they stop becoming my responsibility uh, and they get passed over to my colleague, Tim Fletcher. Uh, and it's a wonderful role. I, I absolutely love it. Um, you know, you get to work with people, disciple people. You get to really uh, walk deep in their faith with them. And uh, I know you've heard... Uh, certainly from clergy before on this podcast, some of their journey. Uh, the DDO on the vocations team would be in a real part of that. Um, but the second part of my role is director of vocations, and, and I'm so passionate about this. Um, it's such a joy that, um, you know, my role isn't just about seeing people become vicars. Actually, every single Christian has a calling from God. Uh, the word vocation simply means calling. My go-to passage is uh, John 1. Uh, where Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. Uh, and actually, it's great because Philip goes to Nathaniel and he says, come see this guy. He's from Nazareth. I've met him. He's amazing. Uh, and Nathaniel goes, yeah, come on, Nazareth. Right, up to north. Really, anything good come from there. Um, but he goes, he meets Jesus, and the call is simply, follow me. And um, every single Christian believer has a calling from God, and that call begins with, follow me. Um God will then call you to do lots of other stuff, to be lots of other things. Uh, and it's my job and, and my team's role to encourage that. And we've got a sort of thing where we're saying we, we normalize vocation, that everyone, it's normal that you've got a calling. We validate the callings that you're already doing. Uh, and then we encourage and we equip people in, in seeing ways that God might be calling different 
and that's not just to ordain ministry. Ordained ministry is just one calling, an important calling, but just one calling. The passion's clearly coming through, which I think is fantastic to, to see. Good, good that, two years in and I'm, I'm not, <laughs> the passion's still yeah. there. Um, but one of the things, and you've certainly been helpful with me with this, has been um, for ordinations this year and last year, you've gathered together bios of all the ordinands and what's been great about that is almost getting to know them a bit before the ordination service but also seeing the broad range of backgrounds stories traditions within the church of england is yeah. that has that been quite privileged to see that yeah and it, again it's, it's part of the joy of my role that i get i get to work with women and men uh, young and old uh from lots of different backgrounds uh lots of different you know hearing some of the stories particularly you know uh, of how they came to faith, but how God's been working throughout their life and how they've got to this point. Um, lo- you know, lots of people ask me, so I was in parish ministry for, for, for 10 years and lots of people ask me, you know, do you, do you miss the ministry? And I, I, I am like, well, actually, no, not really, because I get to do a lot of ministry with people. And actually, I, often I get to do a lot more deeper ministry with people uh, than you would in a parish setting where you're trying to, you know, trying to look after whole congregations or, you know, particularly trying to pick up pastoral um, tragedies that are happening. Actually, you know, almost from day one, we sort of set the store that, you know, if, if we're going to be useful with you, we, we're going to need you to be vulnerable with us. Uh, you know, we, we're going to need you to be shared. We absolutely, the responsibility on our end is you need to trust us and you need to trust that, you know, how we're dealing with your vulnerabilities is fair and, um, you know, as loving as we can. Um, but we get to walk so deeply with people, almost in a way that, you know, I didn't get to um, in parish ministry. Are there any misconceptions about the whole process? So when someone comes to you, are there any myths they think about or, you uh, know? <laughs> all the time, <laughs> all the time. I mean, uh, and I have to say, a lot of the barriers are stuff that people have either picked up in their own experiences or their own history. You know, I can't, I can't be a vicar because I've never been to university. You know, I can't be a vicar because no one, no one, I don't know any vicars who speak with my accent. Uh, you know, um, there are so many preconceptions. Um, and, and like I said, you know, our first job is to try and inform people to say, okay, this is what actually what ordination is we'll go back to the book of common prayer what's called the ordinal uh, what's read at ordination services about this is a deacon uh, so we explore what people call to be deacons and then this is a priest uh, and we'll explore what's said about that trying to cover all the range of traditions you know because within the church of england there's lots of different conceptions about what a priest or a, a deacon is and we'll, we'll go back to the bible we'll talk you know we'll talk about you know there are the creation of the deacons when Stephen was a deacon in Acts 6. We'll look at some of the character things in the pastoral epistles about, um, you know, what are the, the expectations upon deacons and priests and especially bishops uh, who, yeah, shouldn't forget that they're never stop being a priest, never stop being a deacon. Um, and yeah, there are so many preconceptions that, you know, we're often trying to help people be informed about. I think there's also a lot, and, and you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I'd always talk with people is you have to count the cost. So part of what I work with them in, in trying to enable people to be informed is, you know, actually what are the sacrifices of this calling? And, you know, and I don't think that's unique to people who are ordained. I think anyone who is exploring a calling from God, um, you should be counting up the cost, you know, as best you can, you know, you can't envisage completely what something is going to be like till you get there. Um, but if you're going to go, and listen and discern and hear from God, part of that is saying, okay, what are my limitations? What can I do? What can't I do? Uh, and that's such an important part of it, the sort of transformation from being informed to be, is this calling realistic for me? There must be quite a rapport as well amongst the ordinance themselves because they're going through that process together. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the things we've really tried to do over the last couple of years. So we, we've set up um, shared discernment evening. So previously, and certainly when I went through the process, you know, most of the work I did was one-to-one with a DDO, a vocation advisor, an ADDO. And, you know, and like I said, that's a real joy on our part. We get to do really deep one-to-one work with people. Um, but we, we've set up, you know, on Zoom just, uh, you know, uh, five or six evenings a year where candidates who are exploring together, um, you know, before they get to college training uh, and they can build friendships, you know, with other ordinands. Um, and what's been so powerful about that is, you know, 
we worked out pretty quickly we don't have to give them much content you know it's not about us presenting a, you know this big presentation about you know this is what um you know a priest is or we just put them into breakout rooms and get them telling their story to each other and there's nothing like understanding you know a different tradition of the church of england when you've got someone saying you know i feel called to be a priest in this tradition and suddenly you hear their life story you hear the different language that they will use um but suddenly it, it can place your position within it all and it enables you to think okay you know how do i fit within that so yeah it, it's been really uh, really a blessing i think for us to see people exploring the calling together uh, and and then when they go to college and you know whether they train residentially you know um places like Cranmer and durham or you know and westcott in cambridge or wherever um or whether they're trained locally with uh, St. Hild or Emmanuel over the, in the Northwest, that's when, you know, they're learning together and they build really, you know, strong community links with other ordinands. Those ordination services as well have been quite good for my step count because I've <laughs> been on camera duty last couple. I just have to sprint out ahead of um, Malcolm and Gervais, who are our archdeacons. They sort of lead the queue, don't they? So it's getting out ahead of them for everyone yeah. to congregate for what? the group photo outside. The other hilar- hilarity in those ordination services, all, seeing all these, you know, official archdeacons, bishops and stuff, you know, be very proper in the service. Uh, and then uh, how quickly they were getting their phones out to check what the cricket score as the ashes was going on in the middle of the ordination service. And Ben Stokes was threatening to do Headingley again, I think, and uh, yeah, try, trying to give nods to the bishop <laughs> to, to say that Stokes has got out. Yeah, I remember. Um, I think it was last year. Um, Javed and Malcolm had a sunglasses photo, and it looked like Men in Black, like Men in Black <laughs> yeah. Four, Men in Black Five, sort of promo image, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and and it's a real privilege. You know, we we do four four ordination services normally uh, over the weekend, and they're all different. You know, we have the ordinations of of those who are going to be priests or presbyters on the Saturday. Uh, we had the deacons on on Sunday morning, and then normally we'd have two sort of different traditions, so a sort of more conservative evangelical service. Uh, where the Bishop of uh, Maidstone uh, comes and takes the service and then more an Anglo-Catholic. And it, it, it's lovely to see the same service done completely differently um, in the different traditions. And, um, you, you know, with so much integrity of, you know, the candidates who I know well, you understand, you know, the integrity of, of, of their offering, sacrificial offering of themselves uh, into this ministry that God's called them to. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, run through all of that is really, really helpful for people out there to see how that fits into the work that you do in the diocese. And and absolutely, as we've started to, to do this podcast, we've really tried to pull in people from the many different traditions and, and areas across the diocese. And it's fascinating to talk to them, knowing that all of them are trying to follow Jesus in the best way they can. Yeah. You know, what, yeah. and the rest is, is sort of commentary around that, isn't it? So let's leap back to a young <laughs> Dan Christian yeah, with all the other Christians on the Isle of Man. <laughs> I didn't grow up on the Isle of Man, as 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 a lot of people in the Isle of Man do. You know, um, so um, you go over to the mainland to work. Yeah, and then you go back to the island to retire. So uh, I spent a lot of time on the island. So my grandparents, aunts, uncles, everyone, everyone's on the island still are still in the same house that you know my great grandfather, great great grandfather, and so on. You know, we're all born in uh, in the same cottage overlooking the sea. But yeah, my dad came over. You know, for his working life and. Uh, had you know eight joyful years in Coventry, which you know doomed me to support Coventry City and all the joys of that. Um, and then because uh, my parents thought Coventry wasn't a beautiful enough place, we moved to Milton Keynes because you know that's that's wow. even more beautiful. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of Milton Keynes. It gets a bad rep, you know. Uh, it 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 it's functional. You're never in a traffic jam. It's got a ski slope. Yes, it's got no soul, but you know if you can get over that, it's a great place. Okay. Potential Fuchsia sponsorship. From <laughs> yeah, very much a friend of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got a friend in MK Dons if you need it, you know. Yeah, the Dons is an interesting story. Yeah, well, you know, they yeah, need yeah. a lot of good press because everyone still hates them yeah. for, for nicking, yeah. nicking the balance, team from Wimbledon. For balance, we'll mention AFC Wimbledon. Yeah, that's it? Yeah, yes. Very much. Um, um, so tell us a bit about your upbringing then. Were you you're, you're in a Christian household? Non-Christian yeah, household? I, yeah, I was in a Christian household. So uh, my parents... Um, uh, I, I love to describe it, you know, they loved me as they knew they were loved by God. You know, we grew up going to church, uh, you know, went to church in Coventry. And then when we moved to just outside Milton Keynes, actually, in a little rural church. And I grew up in a in a, in a little village church. Um, church of England background. Church of England background, yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, um, but you know, very different. And you know, the joys of rural church is you've got five churches, all different. I now know there's a whole load of politics between them. You know, uh, the village I grew up in were traditionally roundheads, while you know the next door village were all cavaliers. It go, you know, it goes all the way back to the Civil War. Um, but a range of traditions then. Um, but uh, quite amazingly, I grew up in a village of sort of 500 people, and there were sort of 12, 14 kids around our age who were all connected with church. You know, so you know, I remember I, you know, I was there last weekend. You know, little village church you know, in the graveyard, which seems much smaller. You know, where after service I would spend an hour, you know, playing tag or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, loved growing up in a village and uh, loved that sort of Christian input from an early age. I think most children who grew up in a Christian household around twelve, thirteen, it very much became a sort of uh, how do I define my identity that away from my parents. Um, and is my faith my own faith? I, I need to rationally justify this. Uh, I need to work out how lifestyle, how, you know, fits with following Christ. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'd certainly say, you know, my journey wasn't linear. It had lots of ups and downs, but certainly there's some very significant moments when um, I can look back and appreciate the the foundation of faith that my parents uh, gave me. Um but it's that transition for making it your own faith. And so from Milton Keynes into your late teenage years, where did that take you? And I suppose around that, did you always feel, because um, you're young and fresh-faced, yeah. <laughs> uh, you always feel like you were called to ministry at that point, or is it um, a later moment? My, my plan was always to be a lawyer. So, I, I, I mean, uh, I've grown up with a Chinese mum, and... Um, uh, you talk to lots of <laughs> kids from, uh, you know, uh, who have Asian parents. There, there's a joke in Asian households that A is average, B is below average, D is don't come home, and E is excommunicated. You know, there's very, very high academic pressure and expectations. And what's made worse is my brother is insanely clever. Um, my brother took seven A levels, which is an absolute joke. All uh, at the same time. All at the same time. And, um, you know... Are there enough hours in the day? Yeah, I mean, he took three mass A levels just on its own. And... And, and did it without apparently lifting a finger. <laughs> it appeared to be the most laziest person that I've ever met. Um, he works really hard now and he's a very respected pediatrician. But, you know, at school he prided himself with not working. Um, so, you know, uh, there's a joke again in Chinese families. You know, there's, a, there's about four acceptable careers. Doctor, and I was, I was lucky my brother covered that one. <laughs> then engineer, lawyer, um, or business, and then that's it. That's sort of all you're allowed to do. And I've got I've got cousins who sort of uh, you know who are in Malaysia who got told by their parents, you know, you're not allowed to study physics. That's not good enough, you know, to get you a job. You need to go study chemical engineering or or whatever. So my plan was always to be um, a lawyer. My brother could be the doctor. I wasn't interested in sciences. You know, I I loved arguing people. Um, so you know, law was law was my plan. Um, I think, you know, certainly age 17, 18, my faith was becoming much more important to me. And I, I remember a moment, actually, my brother and another friend who's um, a minister up in Harrogate um, went to Poland on a mission trip. And um, they came back with a verse uh, from James for me uh, that's always struck with me. You know, those who know the good they do, but don't do it, sin. And uh, I think that's one of my moments of conviction about, you know, I generally thought I was a pretty good kid. You know, I, you know, I wasn't ever in trouble. I was naughtier than my brother, but, you know, second child. That's, that's fairly normal. Um, and, um, you know, I sort of prided myself that I was a pretty good person, uh, but then could see all the stuff that, you know, I didn't do. <laughs> and that sort of was my main moment of conviction. So I, I took a gap year. Uh, I went to Mozambique for six months. I, no, saying that, I worked in a quiche factory for six months, uh, full time. Um, I absolutely stand by this, you know, and talk about anyone young coming into ministry, go work in a quiche factory, not because it teaches you, you know, how to make quiche, which in of itself is a very useful Christian skill. Um, but it just meant that you were working nine to five in a factory with people. And the amount I learned about people in those uh, six months um, was was immense. Yeah, that's I, I, I really agree with that. I was an engineer all my life, and all of my yeah. kids were introduced to the factory floor, yeah. uh, for better or for worse. But to pull back on that, I have it in my head from my day that it was a book called Real Christians Don't Eat Quiche. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not sure whether we made that up and then pretended it was a book or whether it is actually a book. But I had a children's book called Did Jesus Wear Blue Jeans? I don't know if that's a spin-off <laughs> of the quiche saga or not. Oh, I don't know either. That, anyway. I, I, I think it's a little bit of a Christian... I don't think there's nearly as much quiche at Christian events as people think there is. Yeah, but, mate, 
back but, in the day. You didn't live through the 80s. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I, did, I, I was born in 85. So yeah, exactly. yeah, no. yeah, hello. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, 1985 was peak quiche, <laughs> quiche, peak quiche in, particularly in, in, in house church movement I was involved with. Yeah. Peak quiche, uh, salad with, with sweet corn and peas in it, uh, yeah. rice and, and stuff like that, yeah. Uh, some people here don't eat quiche. I'm not going to name names, but... Um... Yeah. See, or I mean, have it, it's always the thing, you know, if you work at Cadbury's. Yeah, you work in factories. No, love it. Still, absolutely. I mean, I can, you know, everything's clean. I can tell you which quiche you can trust to buy from which retailers. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, we used to get free quiche, you know, as you worked on the factory. And I, yeah, I ate, ate my fair share of quiche and I still love it. So, Mozambique. So, yeah, so I was in Mozambique for six months working with. Pentecostal church, working with an orphanage, um, and then went to study theology, not with any intention of being a vicar, um, just because I was told if you want to do law, go do a degree you enjoy first and then do a law conversion course. Uh, so yeah, went, went off and studied theology and, you know, absolutely loved it. Uh, you know, absolutely loved, particularly the biblical. Uh, I was at St. George's College in Durham with a whole load of other Christians, which in of itself makes an interesting university experience. Um, but yeah. Uh, really enjoyed my time and um, I mean it, it was very sad so throughout through my university uh, years my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer in my first year you know I can still remember where I was when I took the phone call um, and sadly he passed away um, mid third year so um, I, I sort of had a you know had a sort of a bit of a choice to make you know at the end of my degree um, and was very very lucky that I got offered a job as an RE teacher in a in a school uh, next to where I grew up. I'd actually worked in the school as a dishwasher, you know, as a 16-year-old, you know. So it was, a, it was a private prep school, which was a world I didn't know. I'd just been to the, you know, the local uh, state schools around. Um, and But I worked in the school as a dishwasher, you know. I, I made it up to, you know, grass mower through my summer university summers, you know. Still one of the best jobs I ever had, just mowing machine, just driving around eight hours a day brilliant job um but yeah uh, so very uh, was very fortunate that they knew i was studying theology they got me to do a bit of teaching my final year and then i could make a decision that i didn't want to, you know i could just move home with a job support my mum for a couple of years and um and yeah and at the same time i'd, I'd learned that law required a lot of detail <laughs> It wasn't like, uh, was it Kavanaugh QC, which I love watching, where you could just argue against people the whole time. Actually, John Thor, was it John Thor? Yeah, 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 John Thor. Yeah, you know, you, you actually had to be really interested in detail orientated and suddenly realised that possibly wasn't me. Just going back to, you mentioned obviously the, the, the sad death of your father. That yeah. As part of your faith journey, that must have been very difficult, especially at a time when you're busy studying, you're finding your way in the world. How did that sort of shape you going forward? Yeah, I mean... I wouldn't call it difficult in terms of my faith journey. It was obviously a very difficult thing to go through. Uh, I don't talk about my dad a lot. Um, and certainly there are moments, you know, anniversary, birthday. His birthday was two days after mine. So my birthday always, had always been, you know, mine and my dad's. And so it's always a bit of a sad time. But I, my dad had had a really you know, um, difficult 10 years. He'd had a stroke when he was 40 and, uh, you know, actually... You know, I can remember as a twelve-year-old the moment my dad having a stroke and calling an ambulance and stuff, and um, and and then had really struggled with with depression because he'd lost his job because of his health, and um, and and actually for the moment that he was diagnosed with lung cancer was probably the most peaceful I ever you know I'd seen my dad in about ten years, because you know in the depth of his faith in the moment of sort of that very tragic you know terminal news, um, uh. it has shaped me a huge amount as a minister to know what it is to go through bereavement at a fairly young age and and that sort of age you know as you know I would have been 19 when he was diagnosed you know where I'm clearly old enough to rationally process and emotionally process all all of this um but you know not so old that you know that that it's still not a huge tragedy you know he died just after his 50th birthday um but in terms of my faith, it, it, it was always something that sort of, I, you know, just enabled me to grow. And, you know, and we can talk about sort of massive things, but, you know, one of the things I absolutely hold to in, in sort of that early bereavement is, you know, my, what my faith gives me is a promise that I will see my dad again in a very real sense that there is something more after death. Um, and I, I don't, I don't ever feel that, you know, my faith was particularly shaken or that, you know, this this sort of tragedy sort of, you know, 
is going to be something that shakes my faith because actually, you know, there are people, you know, in this part of the, you know, the quiche, the working the quiche factory, you know, being amazing. But there are plenty of people who have far greater tragedies than what happened to my dad and my family. Um, so, you know, my faith wasn't going to be built upon the realities of what's happening to us. Actually, you know, faith at its best is the thing that enables you to get through those darkest and most difficult times. And I, my wife's an oncologist. You know, she deals with tragedies and cancer all the time. You throw that, you know, you're, you're in ministry, in parish ministry. And I, I feel that we've probably got a warped sense of the world that, you know, we're just used to sort of illness and death and, and things like that. And, and actually, you're reminded that life is worse without faith. And without the reassuring sense of being beloved, held in God, uh, the sense that God has a plan, that life isn't just random chance, uh, that there is hope beyond death um, in the midst of all of that. And um, yeah, I, I don't think my faith was ever sort of made difficult by the events of my dad. In, in, in a lot of sense, I got to see his faith at his very best uh, and the peacefulness that his faith gave him at at his very best through his illness, which was a huge blessing. Yeah, that's a great reflection of what well, faith is sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. That yeah. that really speaks there as you've spoken of that, that, yeah. that, that this moment, the reality of life was not, it was certain of what was happening, it was certain of where yeah. he was going and certain of where you're going. Yeah. Um, and, and that can impinge on it. And that's not always true of everybody, is it? So something like that can really hit people. Yeah. But it's fantastic to see that faith worked out in your life, which meant that it was rooted yeah. in something of, of certainty yeah I, I, and i'm very careful you know uh, always careful about you know <laughs> we talk about god's plans for you and you know he, he doesn't give you anything beyond what you know you can be tempted and, and all of that sort of stuff but the reality is that i went through saw illness tragedy at a fairly early age which i, you know, I don't think i could have ministered in the same way particularly someone who was ordained fairly young i was ordained at 27 um to have those life experiences behind me um, to then go into ministry gave, gave me an understanding I wouldn't have otherwise had. Yeah, we talked about that with, with Father Grant as well, didn't we? That he was ordained very young and felt that actually seeing stuff at that age uh, has helped his ministry enormously because we were talking about a lot of people, you know, do get now ordained, as you will know, much, much later. And there's this feeling of, oh, they've seen lots of life. But actually... As a young man, uh, as Father Grant talked about, seeing the reality of, of some of the deprived areas that he worked mm. in at a very young age yeah. gives a life experience that, you know, people like me that have been in industry all our life won't just won't see. Yeah. You know, so. I, I do like, and you mentioned it earlier on, and it's part of that um, ordination process. I do like that a bishop doesn't stop being a priest or a deacon. They yeah. always have those titles. I think that's quite a nice, humbling but reassuring aspect to it all. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, uh, you know, and... You know, I'll come back again. Deacon simply means servant, slave of Christ. You can have a fun Greek. You know, what's what's the difference between diakonos and doulos, um, which is a, a, a fun thing to do. But, you know, Paul in his, his letters always calls himself a servant or slave of Christ. And, it, you know, ultimately that's what you should be coming back to. And if I'm not doing some serving and, you know, I challenge myself, you know, as much as I can, you know, how are you just simply being a servant, uh, not just for God, you know, in the, the sort of, you know, hypothetical sense but you know in, in reality you know when when are you moving a chair for someone when are you opening a door when are you just you know making a cup of tea and doing those very practical acts of service which uh you know ministry is built on well for the non-conformists in the room the deacons meeting i have sat as a baptist i've sat <laughs> yeah. through many deacons meetings then gone to the elders meetings then the ministers meeting yeah and and, and it's reminding people yeah. that you know the anglican church sits in those orders you know you know and I'd be very different to Father Grant, you know, I, I come from a low church sort of evangelical background, you know, and when I say priest, or I really mean presbyter, you know, the word der is derived from it. Um, you know, it, it's the same as my Baptist friends who have those deacons, elders and overseers, you know, it's the same orders of ministry, New Testament base that the Church of England works in. Um, yeah, this really wants me to go down a sort of rabbit hole of looking at New Testament Greek, because you've talked about <laughs> it, we had... Reverend Amy Hall on recently as well, who was yep. talking about um, that. And she made a good point about the feeding of the 5,000. I think it's, it's phrased as leftovers in the New Testament, but she yeah. was saying the Greek origin is more about an abundance. Yeah. So rather than leftovers, might have a connotations with 
second best yep. actually it was more until they were satisfied that sort of and, and, and as you know connecting back into the story you know so i did a lot of biblical languages as my my first theology degree i did um greek hebrew and, and aramaic aramaic was really fun and particularly when you talk about abba uh, so the word abba you know obviously we think it sounds like daddy and therefore it's you know colloquial daddy god when actually you know the bar bit is the what's called the definite article the so in aramaic the way you form you put the onto a word. So if you want to say, you know, the the skull called gotha, it's it, it adds that the sound on the end. In Hebrew, it's with a ha sound. So if you want to say, you know, uh, the God rather than God, you'd, you'd say ha Elohim rather than Elohim. Um, so actually, when we get the word Abba, it's actually quite reverential. It's not sort of colloquial daddy. You know, it's it's actually the father. It's 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 got some gravitas and weight behind it. Because it's not just Av, Father, Ab, Father, it's Abba. Uh, and it's that, it, you know, we're hitting a rabbit hole because we're into biblical languages and I've got a huge passion. Uh, Amy teaches Greek at St. Hild, I teach the Hebrew. I'd have to say I prefer Hebrew. My Greek is getting rusty and go talk to Amy. She'll be able to tell you much more about it. Um, but it's so important, not just of how to understand scripture, but getting into the mindset of scripture and, and uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely fascinating. We could have a whole podcast episode, I think, on there almost potentially. Yeah. I think we're heading there. Yeah. And that and that's been really interesting of, of a number of people that we've spoken to that have that deep connection, you know, that's Amy and, and so, you know, maybe a Tim as well. The people that have studied deeper that actually there's so much more depth here. Yeah. And having come back having come from uh, you know, very sort of uh, house church movement where quite often yeah. it was as I realize now, some of it was a bit lightweight, you know, it was around the three verses and let's make the point. Yeah. You know, actually, I think the great thing about having people like yourselves involved in St. Hills and, and really in, in at this moment is the depth of knowledge around what was God actually saying through these scriptures. Yeah. Not what we think, not what the 21st century is informing, yeah. but what is actually the core message of the gospel. And it's incredibly important for us. Isn't yeah. It? And I've got a massive passion about getting people excited about the Old Testament again, like, um, it's, you know, to, to out Tim Tim uh, absolutely well you're going to have to go uh, yeah. yes, sure. I absolutely believe we got a, a, into our, what's called practical Marcionism so Marcionism is you know this um, sort of uh, early church uh, person who basically believed the New Testament trumps the Old Testament so we don't really need the Old Testament anymore because the New Testament so anything that the Old Testament says we just ditch and uh, the New Testament that's the real scripture um, and I think we, in our churches, we often come to a practical, we don't really believe that. I don't think anyone would ever say that, you know, we're ditching the Old Testament, the Old Church is still scripture. But actually, you know, if you if you went through the church and looked at the passages you preached on, you know, over a year, how many of them would be the Old Testament passages and how many would be the New Testament passages, which people think are easier? Um, and it's often because, you know, there is this horrible misconception that the New Testament's all about the loving, nice God and the Old Testament's about the angry, vengeful God and we don't like that bit, so we're just going to ignore it. I I've got a real passion for um, the church being blessed with the Old Testament as scripture. Um, and one of the ways I'm really passionate about, you know, so my, my field is certainly a study is in you know, satire is, you know, yes, it is comedy, it's a joke, but it it's about understanding the Old Testament as pieces of literature and I quote Bishop Pete on this because I love it every time he says it, you know, um, he will always start a talk, particularly about the Old Testament, you know, the, that scripture is never less than well-crafted literature. Um, and you need to understand that to understand some of the truth um, of, of what's coming through it. So, you know, my, my question is always, when does, you know, if you want to look at Genesis 1, when does the day start? If, if I was going to just ask you, you know, when do you conceive of the, the beginning of the day? Well, I think we talked about this the other day that didn't the time start when the sun rose and then it's hours after that because of the question around the crucifixion later, or is that not right? Well, no, 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 yeah, you, yeah before we get to that, okay. so, and I'll take you to a bit of Genesis 1 in a second. Okay. If I was going to start, when's the start of the day for you? For me, personally. Yeah, for you personally. Um, when the, my alarm clock goes off. When your alarm, so, so the day starts in the morning? Yes. Okay, Ben? Yeah, I go the same, alarm going off, morning. When you read Genesis 1, and I appreciate you might not do it enough, do you skim over the bit when I do it, it says weeks? Yeah, well, yeah, most week. Do you skip over the bit where it says, and it was evening and then it was morning the first day? Yes. Because for a Jewish person, the day starts in the evening. And the beginning moment of the day is in the evening, which is why the Sabbath starts on Friday night and it finishes on Saturday night. There is a conceptual thing about what is a day going on in the middle of Genesis 1 that we always ignore. Yeah, because 
partly because it's you know it's repetitive it was evening morning the first day but partly we just forget that actually that that should blow our minds because for us the day starts in the morning and that's culturally so god is speaking a piece of literature to a people at a certain point of time with a set understanding of what is a day and and then you can go into repetition you can go into you know the rhythm of of the passage and all of that sort of stuff but it's a piece of literature that you need to understand is written at a moment in time to a moment to a people who have this conception and that doesn't mean that you need to change it your concept of when a day is but you need to read that back into the text if you're going to understand what this means we should have booked you in for a three-part special this is just <laughs> genuinely fascinating i've got i've got a special coming up scripture to us for us about us you got the tagline as well <laughs> you're the you're the, more of a journalist that. than me paul yeah yeah i think that's the new i think january scripture to us for us about us something in there. for we'll the cold dark months as well for that's so. a great idea um because we're going down such a rabbit hole, um, <laughs> it's like when you get on Wikipedia sort of rabbit yeah. hole where you can go all day. Um, we'll move on to you coming to the diocese and yeah. specifically what were your main aims here and what are your main aims at the moment? Oh, I, I, I suppose when I came originally or... Um, well, both, yeah. yeah what was so your so I came to the Diocese of Sheffield in 2016. Um, uh, and so um like i said laura is an oncologist so uh if you know anything about doctors they train for an absolute age so bless her last weekend in fact last friday um we finally she's finished her last medical exam she's just become a fellow of the royal college of radiologists and got to go to a fancy thing uh down in westminster central hall which is the methodist central hall which i've never been in before which again could be an interesting conversation um but um nothing wrong with methodists nothing wrong with methodists no no um (laughs) And I really enjoy being in the central. It was very interesting. I've never seen a Methodist building like it. Um, I think there's been some great politics talked in that room. I think people yeah, like Tony yeah, Benn yeah. from that non-conformist tradition have really, yeah. really pushed the boat out in that yeah. room. So. That's another impression we could do at another time. Do you do a Tony Benn? A bad one, but not right now. Okay. <laughs> Carry on, Dan. Sorry, <laughs> anyway, that was my fault. Um, so um, uh, trying to match our callings together. So where Laura can finish her training uh, and, and me, obviously, uh, and uh, working out my ordained calling. So we were in... And Chester Street in Durham, absolutely loved County Durham. Uh, you know, it was a real um, learning curve of being with people who wanted to be where they are and aspired to be where they are and live in the same street as their mum, dad, aunt, uncle and, and everything. Um, but it just couldn't work out with trying to find a place where Laura wasn't traveling hours to get to hospitals. And she was at the stage where she, well, she still is, where she rotates around every six months, so changes job every six months. So Sheffield was a you know um was a massive attraction because they've got centralized cancer services so um laura's in western park normally two two three days a week and then she might be out in barnsley doncaster and so off or so on for so forth um and then uh, at the time a job came up at all saints ecclesall as associate vicar and one thing that i'd sort of reflected through my curiosity is i love working with people you know i i'm, I'm an extrovert um i get energy from people and i was really worried about sort of going into a job where i was the one vicar and you know, it was very isolated and, you know, uh, I wouldn't have people to pray with every day. Um, so I, I, I think the idea of being an associate vicar was was a real attraction and um, moved to Exel. We had a great time there. Um, you know, obviously, COVID, things like that, you know, there was challenges, but um, was really blessed with the people I worked with in particular at All Saints, many of whom are still around the diocese, which is, is fantastic. Um but yeah, uh, the, the time came on, uh, I, I think, where something new. And um, I like to think I got tapped up by Stephen Hunter, who was the previous DDO and <laughs> a member of the government. Not, you know, not in any way that this was a done deal, but basically, he's, you know, I don't think anyone ever gets ordained thinking I'm going to be a DDO one day. <laughs> um, and he basically said, look, have you thought about this role? I, I think you'd be brilliant at it. Um, it's got this director of vocations bit, so it's not just about you know, working with people of ordination, it's, you know, it's got this really, you know, great part of strategic part of, you know, how can you deliver something actually quite big? Uh, and when I talk about something big, you know, essentially over five years, we're trying to get the idea that vocation is not about ordination, that every single church member and every single diocese of the Sheffield church can say, I've got a vocation, I've got a calling and us being able to enable and equip churches so that they can make that normal. Uh, and and I think when I looked at the role, I, I thought those sort of two components of you know being get get to part being part deeply involved in people's 
you know, ordination journey and 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 that sort of real one-to-one work alongside that sort of big strategic um, side as well about you know really trying to reimagine and I think don't think anyone believes that vocation is about ordination, but we've got a whole load of structures which sort of that reiterate that message. How do we break those down and how do we we sort of you know work with people like Hannah Sandoval and get as part of the lights for Christ and growing in discipleship people have an understanding that they're already called and God's calling them to other things. I think it's so exciting. I also love the biblical setting you had for, it was last year, ahead of um, a vocations fair, you were on a mountain recording a video. Yeah, yeah. I went, went up Higator, uh, you, know, uh, you know, and this is part of the joys of being in Sheffield. And, you know, it's, you know I'm sure people already got highest graduate retainment rate. You've got this great city with beautiful countryside around it. And as someone, you know, who... Uh, you know compared to Durham it feels Sheffield feels pretty south but you know all our family you know are sort of Milton Keynes Andover um you know it is a quite a way and it that comes with sacrifices when you've got young children grandparents on on the doorstep um but it, you know it's a great place to be and we actually love being in Sheffield um yeah and we're blessed to have you here Dan uh, we're coming to our final segment now, I think, Paul, on to some of the more, we've teased some lighthearted questions already, but just yeah. <laughs> on to a bit more about uh, you as a person. You've Obviously given a sports us fan. Yeah, yeah. So you put cricket before football, which is always great in my eyes, that people put cricket before football. Not In, in some people's eyes. Okay. And um, so cricket background? Yeah, so I, I've got the strange thing. So my mum is, she's ethnically Chinese. Um, she grew up in Penang in Malaysia, which obviously has... Hotbed, n- hotbed of the hot MCC. Bed, hotbed of the MCC. Um, and for some reason, she came over here as a 16-year-old, just loves cricket. And, uh, you know, I grew up with my mum, you know, headphones in the ears, you know, Australian winter. TMS. Get, TMS, getting the volume just right. So when they, you know, wicket happens, it wakes you up sort of thing. Annoying my dad. Um, and yeah, my mum just absolutely, I, I've never understood why, but just loves cricket. And, it, you know, it has to be TMS. You can't watch it. You know, watching it is, you know, sacrilege. It has to be all on the radio. Um, but yeah, I grew up playing cricket, uh, you know, from the age of seven, eight. Um, and, you know, obviously played played football and, you know, um, you know, grew to have a love of Coventry City with all the pain that that in involves um worst kit ever they say worst kit ever i mean kit. do you remember that ben i don't think i do is this like the dion dublin era well before that well before i mean uh, i was two in the 87 cup final that's that's the moment for coventry city you know gary mabbott we couldn't even win a trophy ourselves gary mabbott from tottenham had to you know knee knee and own goal for us to win a trophy john siller actually married uh, managed hereford for he, a yeah, while. he did yeah, yeah. um uh, but yeah, at first 25 years of my life, I think Coventry City were in a relegation battle 20 out of the 25 seasons. So, it, you know, it gives you a certain perspective on life, <laughs> being a cough fan. But yeah, no, I've, I've always played cricket. More, I've always played more cricket than football and then, you know, followed England. I've got this weird thing. At like, So I follow Essex because Graham Gooch was my favourite player growing right. up. And I, I did, I, I'm the same age as Alistair Cook. I think I did play him in a match, you know, when I was, when I was a kid. So for some reason... With no other connections, I'd, I always follow Essex. But then being up in Durham, did my curacy up in Chester the Street, saw England beat Australia three times in yeah. my curacy. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously follow Yorkshire and, uh, you know, got a soft spot for Yorkshire and it's not great at the moment, but, you know, we'll get there. Yeah, no, we uh, we do at least one test match a year. Me and my boys, we all love cricket. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, uh, it's, I managed to play in the Archbishop of Canterbury's eleven. So yeah, I didn't so, didn't yeah. didn't put this in my yeah. So, so uh yeah, I played a couple of times and done tours to Rome to play the Vatican Eleven. Uh so this is this source. How do I get involved in this? Yes, thank well, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah. So there's a there's an Archbishop Canterbury's eleven that was set up I think seven, eight years ago, um, to build bridges with um with with the Other denominations. Oh, Catholic with Church. The, well, with the Catholic just, Church in what, particular. What, just the Pope bowl off spin, leg spin? Or well, what? I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, we didn't play on St. Peter's Square. I, I really felt you could put a nice strip down and, you know, yeah, we had to go to <laughs> the only <laughs> pitch in Rome. Slog three through the yeah. Sistine Chapel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, an Ar- Argentinian Pope. I don't think there's much interest in, uh, in cricket at the moment. But yeah, so a lot of Indian, a lot of Sri Lankan, you know, Priests, uh, and they're, they're a very good team, yeah. uh, the, the Catholic so, Catholic eleven. So. Um, but yeah, so we, we played a couple of games over in Rome. They played uh, a couple of times over over here. And I, I, I'm all jokes aside, and you know, and it is 
cricket. What I learned about ecumenical dialogue out of it is if you can find something that's going to unify you before you talk about your differences, then it humanizes the people yeah. that you're, you're, you're meeting with. And the joy of this was, you know, yes, you know, when we were over there, we, you know, we had some tours, there was some dialogue, you know, the, you know, there was conversations about the differences, but because you get, got to know them on the cricket pitch first, um, you knew them as human beings before they you knew yeah they've sledged you already so. yeah exactly yeah. they've sledged us already and yeah you're already annoyed a lot of chatter so. from behind the stumps already yeah. Yeah. So, yeah i think um i think i probably our time is coming towards the end ben it's been a fascinating chat been very good i'm, I'm envious of this um this tour uh to the vatican <laughs> Yeah. Is there a football team as well? That... I, I, is there a diocese cricket team? There is a diocese. Well, so the, we we were due to play our first match in many years against Leeds in a friendly this summer. Right. So if there's anyone listening who, I, I think the rules are you either ordained or you, you are working for a church and fancies a game of cricket. Unfortunately, we've got rained off. Uh, and well, I'm, I'm throwing my hat in the ring then. Yeah, 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 you're in. That's it. Uh, I mean, yeah. If there's a football equivalent, I'll throw my hat in the ring yeah, as well. I think LJ wants getting involved as well. I think definitely. Should be a bit of a. I mean, I, I'm. I'm surpri- I mean, I played quite a bit of football at theological. I know that, you know theological colleges play against each other, and I can tell you which is Cudston have the worst pitch of all the theological. I have colleges. never had more injuries in all the sport yeah. I've played in years outside church football matches. Yeah, yeah. I've been hospitalised three times in church football matches. Matches. But I don't. I don't know if that. And there must be very easy to put a diocese and eleven together. I mean, I, I, I think, think a lot of a lot of us are probably creaking. But yeah, Bishop Pete CDM role. Yeah, exactly. Um, as long as you can wear a Newcastle shirt and you know our colours are black and white, I think I think we might get sponsorship from uh, Bishop's Croft. Yeah, and Derby County playing black and white, so that can be my little loophole <laughs> there. Okay. But yeah, we definitely want an extended special at some stage. I think Paul's idea is a good one in the new year, delving deeper into those sort of studies of language and how it changes meanings. We've got Daniel McGuinness, yourself, yeah. Amy Hall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, round table, scripture. I mean, Definite for that. there's some brilliant people around the diocese, you know, um, Bill Goodman's. Of course, Bill. We, uh, you know, very much a friend of the podcast, Bill. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, there's some brilliant people you can get around the table. Yeah. Burst onto the scene. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried doing an impression. I don't, I don't think Bill knows this. I've tried doing an impression of Bill in the office. But it ends up sounding like you know Captain Raymond Holt in Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> yeah. And I can't not do that voice. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we want to bring our time to an end. This uh, <laughs> it's been a great, uh, great chat with you, Dan. Yeah, Thanks so much for coming into Church House to talk to us. And um, as we always say, we have got a, an email address: uh, Words of Grace at Sheffield.anglican.org. So if you have got some comments about theology, about um, too much football chat or anything else you want to talk to us about or suggestions for future podcasts that would be great please do get in touch with us but thanks so much dan yeah and if anyone is in, uh, you know feels that god is calling to something it doesn't have to be ordained ministry we love to talk to people whatever you know god is putting on their heart my email address is so easy it's dan.christian christian is spelled exactly as you would expect at sheffield.anglican.org does what it says on the tin it does exactly what it says on the tin so um yeah do be in touch and uh, you know we'd love to work with you Uh, in whatever way God is calling you. Good to see you, Ben. You too. Take care. Take care.